once everything gets corrected, we'll choose a, a retail sample, which is something that ACX requires that you upload. Sometimes I'll just choose it and I'll upload it and the author will be like, great. Or sometimes the author will have a very specific portion of the book that they want to serve as the sample. Welcome back to The Author Biz. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is the show where we discuss meaningful ways to get better results with your author business. We've got a fun show this week that's all about producing audiobooks through ACX. The idea for the show actually came out of an interview a few weeks ago with author Mike Farisee. In that show, Mike explained the reason why he hadn't done audio versions for his Dev Haskell series, and the biggest reason was time. He wasn't sure how much time would be required for the audiobook process. Neither of us knew the answer to that question, so Mike posed it again in the AuthorBiz Facebook group, which is really becoming my favorite place for coming up with podcast topics for the show. The question generated some interesting response, but no clear-cut answers. So, why not find an expert and ask her? Elizabeth Klett is a talented narrator who's produced dozens of audiobooks for indie authors over the past few years, primarily through the Audiobook Creation Exchange, which is more commonly known as ACX. She's been narrating professionally since 2011, and in addition to her work through ACX, has produced recordings for B-Audio, Listen to a Book, The Online Stage, and LibriVox. She has a BA in theater from Drew University, which is one of the top theater programs in the U.S., and she's recorded a variety of dramatic projects, performing roles ranging from Lady Macbeth to Juliet. She also holds an MA and doctoral degrees in English literature from the University of Illinois, and teaches at a university in Houston, Texas. If you're listening with headphones, you might find it interesting to listen to the difference in background noise uh, when I'm talking and when Elizabeth is talking. Normally, I sound a little bit better than, than my guest because I, I just pay a little bit more attention to sound quality. I'm talking through a microphone, and I've got some things around that help to deaden echo. Elizabeth is recording her part from inside her home studio, so there is zero echo. There's a little bit of echo that you'll hear on my side and zero echo from Elizabeth's side. So if you, if you listen with headphones on, you might find that interesting to just pay attention to that. But for those of you who don't care about echo, and uh, hopefully that's most of you, uh, in this episode we'll be covering a number of topics, including the step-by-step -step process Elizabeth goes through to produce an audiobook through ACX, the different methods by which narrators are paid, what authors should expect when posting an audio project on ACX, the time involved for both the author and narrator to create a top-quality audiobook, and, well, there's plenty more. The interview begins by me asking Elizabeth to explain ACX to all of us. ACX is Audible's marketplace website. They um, have been around for five years, and um, the idea behind the site is that it's a place where anybody who owns audio rights can put up their book 
and um, solicit uh, narrators and producers to to produce their book. Um, so it's actually a great place for a lot of independent authors who have the rights to the audio um, to find a narrator who can record their book. And once the um, production is complete, ACX handles the delivery of all the files and everything. So um, the narrator and usually the author um, work together to produce the audiobook, upload the files to ACX, and then um, ACX kind of prepares the title for distribution and it goes directly to Audible because Audible owns uh, the ACX site. So it's really a way that, um, I don't know if it's primarily independent authors, but I think probably a lot of the businesses, independent authors, um, can get into the audiobook market, um, many of them for, for really no upfront cost if they, um, if they get into a royalty-sharing deal with the narrator. Okay, now let's let's talk uh, just briefly about your background. You've been, and I found it interesting the way I think you got into audiobooks is, or, or narr- the narration of audiobooks is that you did some volunteer work for a company that that did audio for open source books, and and so you just sort of worked your way into it that way. Yes, that's right. I worked for a website called LibriVox. Um, that's LibriVox.org <laughs> um, for uh, a while. I started in 2007 volunteering for them, and I just kind of stopped working with them last year um, just because the professional audio work got a little too demanding on my schedule. Um, but it's a wonderful site. It is um, a free website where people can download public domain audiobooks. So most of the books were published prior to 1923, but there are some more recent books that have fallen out of copyright that people can can narrate. Um, but it's all volunteer run. It's completely global. So there's people from around the world working together um, to produce these audiobooks. It's a really amazing community. And so I started reading for them. Um, and eventually they invited me to join the administrative team. So I was on the admin team for them for I think maybe five years. Um, and uh, again, then things just got too hectic. And I um, couldn't really do it anymore, but I absolutely endorse and love their site. It's such a such a wonderful site, and it's such a great resource for listeners because you can just go to their site and download, you know, thousands and thousands of free audiobooks in many different languages. And I, what I think what what might really resonate with with our listeners is just the way that you got into it by just deciding, hey, I want to do this, so I'm going to do I'm going to do it for free. And yeah. uh, see how it works out, because a lot of us do the same thing. We, we were not authors before. No one's giving us a lot of money to write a book. We're just writing a book and hoping it sells. Right, exactly. And I think that it comes from love, really. It comes from a place of, of loving what you what you do. You know, it's a love of literature, which is a fundamental thing in, in my life, certainly. Um, it also comes from, for me, the the love of, of performing. Um, I have a theater background, so I really felt that, um, you know, LibriVox offered me this, this way of performing um, all of these literary works that I, that I love. Um, and that as a teacher, I, I also work with on a regular basis. So, and it was also a way of connecting with all of these, you know, strangers around the world who in some ways became, um, you know, not strangers after working with some individuals for many years, actually, on, on many different projects. I mean, some of them I've literally worked with hundreds of times and I've never even met them. It's, it's really 
it's one of those things about the internet that um, that is really incredible. It is amazing because I've, I've interviewed probably 300 plus people and I feel like I know every one of them, but the overwhelming majority I've never met. Yeah, yeah. It's really, it's, it's the internet at, at its best, I think, when those kinds of things happen. All right. Well, I first learned about you. I was doing a search on, I, I was looking for someone very specific, someone that had done a lot of a lot of audiobooks for ACX who would be familiar with working with indie authors, who was really highly ranked. And so I, I started doing some Google searches. I found some blog posts that you had written and, and we connected. But just for listeners out there, if you look up Elizabeth's name on Audible, I think the, the current count as of this morning was 74 titles. And I... The interesting thing that I found in looking at the reviews for many of those titles, and some of them had hundreds of reviews, is that you very often ranked your performance ratings were higher than the author's writing ratings, which I, I thought was unusual. I don't even know if you know that. I don't. I try not to look too closely at reviews because um, mm -hmm. if I do, I'll usually find something that's not so complimentary. You know, there's always oh yes, always that one person. I'm sure you know you're an author that you know. There's always you know one or two people who just you know feel like they have to say something negative. And you hope there are those 200 that uh, overwhelm that voice. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. But you've got 74 things up there, and and you work through ACX. You work through. Um, producers of, of audiobooks. So you, you sort, you're sort of a hybrid narrator, I guess. Um, I suppose so. Yeah, I, I do work for a number of different companies. ACX is certainly um, the one I work with the most. Um, I'm also on the roster at B Audio, which is a really great company. Um, and um, I'm working with another company called Listen to a Book. Um, and then I'm also working with um, a new company called The Online Stage. It's actually sort of um, another kind of uh, outgrowth from LibriVox. A lot of the LibriVox people decided they wanted to form this company, and they're producing professional quality um, audio drama. Hmm. Um, so we're doing plays mostly, although we're also doing dramatic readings of literary works. So, um, for example, I coordinated and, and produced uh, a reading recently through them of Jane Austen's Lady Susan, um, which is a letter that's written, uh, I'm sorry, it's a book that's written in the form of letters. So what we did was we had a cast of characters um, who just read each of their characters' letters, um, which I think is a really nice way to experience that particular book. That is interesting. And I, you have a sort of a literary background as well. You have um, a, a degree in English literature from University of Illinois, a, a doctoral degree. I do. Yes. Yes. I'm actually an English professor. Um, really, that's sort of my, my primary career. Um, and n audiobook narration is is sort of my secondary career just because of not having enough time <laughs> to <laughs> devote to it as I would like. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, I do. I do have a literary background. I have, um, you know, BA um, and MA and, and a PhD in, in English literature. So like I said, it is really something that I'm very passionate about. So um, I, I really just love reading literary works and kind of trying to share and communicate that love with, with listeners, um, with, regardless of when that literature was written. So and you have you you have narrated across multiple genres, you, mysteries. Uh, there's a little bit of everything in in your 
audible list. Is is there something that you particularly enjoy? Yes, I would say um, I have a few genres that I've narrated in a lot and that I really enjoy. Um, I didn't expect it, but I actually quite enjoy narrating um, science fiction fantasy, so SFF, mm-hmm. um, I, and paranormal. Um, I don't read a huge amount of that in my spare time, although I do read some but I really enjoy uh, narrating in that genre. I'm about to do, I think, in a couple of months, the fourth book in a series um, called the Alexis Carew series. And it's just an example of the kind of thing that I've kind of gotten into through narrating. And it's it's such a wonderful series. It's so much fun. It's it's basically a futuristic sailing ships in space. It's almost kind of like the Royal Navy adventures of the 19th century, but the author has taken that idea and kind of put it into a futuristic space travel context. Mm -hmm. It might sound unlikely, but it is really so good. And the main character, Alexis, is just so um, strong and spunky and and complex. And so I love that. And then I also really enjoy um, period British novels. I do a lot of Jane Austen-inspired works, and I do really enjoy those. I think probably because I I sort of, <laughs> I narrated almost all of Austen's work for LibriVox um, when I was volunteering for them, and, and so I, I just kind of got into this niche of, of, mm-hmm. of reading um, all of these Austen variations, I guess they're called. There are a lot of authors, especially indie authors, working in that area, and so I get a lot of that kind of work, and, and I really enjoy it. One of the reasons that I wanted to talk with you today is, is to help to educate uh, me and and our listeners on the process for creating an audiobook. Um, I have I've, I have a number of friends who are very prolific writers. They sell a ton of their books. They write a lot of books, and they see the idea of getting into audiobooks as something that would take away too much time uh, from their writing. And so I'd, I'd like to understand from you sort of what the process is like, not only – well, primarily from your perspective, how it works, what you see through the ACX process, and what would make you inclined to want to say, yes, I would love to do this person's book. What would make you perhaps stay away from a book? Um, what what can authors – do to make it more likely that that a top tier narrator would be interested. So just essentially like walk us through the process and and then of course what you as the narrator need from the author to create a really good audiobook. So let's just sort of start from the very beginning and and let's pretend that I just posted uh, a, a manuscript or I, I just set up my ACX account and I I don't know, whatever it is I do, I, I guess I put a script up there, something that, uh, that, that people would see, and they would see some information about the book, about the author, about my, my audience as an author, and take it away. What, what, would you, what would you be looking for when you saw an entry like that? Sure. Um, you would have to decide as an author um, whether you would want to um, pay – upfront, which means that you would pay the narrator um, a specific per finished hour rate. Um, there are a lot of acronyms, so per finished hour gets abbreviated to PFH. And let's define um, terms as we go, because there are going to be mm-hmm. people that don't understand what that term actually means. 
Sure. So what that means is that um, you would pay the narrator um, a, a fixed rate that you would negotiate with that narrator um, in advance um, and say, I'm going to pay you, for example, um, $100 per finished hour, PFH. Um, and that literally means that after the files have been submitted, so it doesn't include um, proof listening, mastering, editing, any of that, it's it's what the, the finished running time of the book is. So say, you know, you negotiated a PFH rate of $100 an hour and it was a 10-hour book, you would pay the narrator $1,000. Okay. Okay. Um, I should say that that's actually quite a low PFH rate. Yes. Um, but I'll, I'll come on to that in a minute. I was just using it for ease of, of, uh, of math. So there's PFH. That's one way of paying the narrator. And then the other one is royalty share, which is usually RS. Um, so royalty share means that um, you would enter into agree- an agreement with the narrator that you would divide Um, the royalties that the book earns. Now, on ACX, what this means is that ACX actually keeps uh, 60% of the royalties that any book earns, and the remaining 40% would be divided between the narrator and the rights holder. Um, And there's slightly different terminology that they use. So they, they do say rights holder, um, and that could be either the author or the publisher. Usually, in my experience, it's the author because the author and the publisher are usually one and the same. The narrator is usually called the producer um, on ACX. So the the rights holder and the producer split the remaining 40%. So what that means in royalty share is that you as an author would be earning 20% and the narrator would be earning 20%. Okay. And unlike – when we write a book and, and publish it as an indie, we can set our own price. Can we do that with audiobooks, or does Amazon set the price? Um, Audible sets the price, and it's um, it's not negotiable, and they base it on the running time of the book. So it's a sort of sliding scale. The longer or shorter the book, the more or less they'll charge for the finished product. It does... Um, there are all these vagaries of Amazon price or Audible pricing, though. It's a little weird because, um, for example, members of Audible get reduced pricing on all books. Also, Audible members often will use credits that they buy as part of their membership programs, um, and that's a sort of fixed rate. Um, and I'll be honest, I don't completely understand how that works myself, so I'm not going to try to explain it. Um, the members, the membership rates are, are a bit of a reduction. They're not a huge reduction, but then there's this, um, other service that they offer called WhisperSync, which, um, has been somewhat controversial for the narrators for sure. Um, because what it does is if your, if your title if your if your audiobook becomes WhisperSync enabled, um, they they're offering it as a sort of bundle deal with with the Kindle. So if you buy the Kindle ebook of the book and the audiobook, um, you get like a really big discount. Uh, again, I'm not exactly sure how much of a discount, but it's it's pretty significant. I think you you know you can buy both of them together for a very low price. And what they do is it's a service where you can kind of switch between the audiobook and the ebook. So if you want to read it on an ebook one day and then switch to the audiobook, you can do that. It'll remember in both 
services where you left off. It, and it, it is a fabulous server or service for the consumer. I, I yes. use it and I love WhisperSync. I think it's fabulous. But I see these things all the time. And this is just an example of what you're talking about where I'll buy a book and it'll say, do you want to add professional narration for, I hate to even say this, $1.99? And then <laughs> yeah. I'll always say yes, because who wouldn't want to add a professional narration sure. for $1.99? But that obviously affects you. Exactly. And and it affects the the authors too, the rights holders that, you know, if the royalties go down to $2 instead of, you know, 14.95, then your royalties are obviously drastically cut down. Um so that's why it's it's been controversial um you know among among narrators and I can only assume uh among rights holders as well. Um so that's that's part of the little wrinkle that you can't you can't necessarily go into um audiobook production projecting a certain amount in royalties because you can't you can't predict the different levels at which individual listeners will be purchasing your book. Okay. That makes perfect sense. But uh, <laughs> just just to go back to this example, and let's say it is a dollar ninety nine. Is that then because for the rights holder, they would get whatever they would get for the book, plus their percentage of the audio book. Do you just get as the narrator? Do you just get a percentage of the audio book, or do you get a percentage of the package? Oh no, just the audio book. Yeah, okay. that that's what what the narrator gets. Okay, so it yeah, that would be controversial for the narrator then. Yeah, yeah, and that's why um, y- your original question was asking about what can an author do to kind of make their um, book as appealing to a narrator as possible. Um, royalty share projects on ACX are vastly outnumber per finished hour projects. And there's an obvious reason for that. Um, you know, much fewer, many fewer authors are, are willing and able to pay a narrator up front, um, than, you know, are willing to sort of go into a royalty share, um, agreement. Uh, I have to say that at this point, I generally don't accept royalty share agreements unless, I can be reasonably confident that the book is going to sell well. And there's a couple of different factors. I mean, it's always a risk. Of course, you can never completely predict um, how a book is going to sell. But there's a couple of factors I usually take into account. First of all, if it's an author that I've worked with in the past and I know from experience um, has sold well, then I'm happy to do that. Um, Happy to enter into a royalty share agreement. Second, ACX actually has a program that they offer for narrators called the Stipend Program, Mm -hmm. where um, they select a certain number of royalty share projects that they think have a good possibility of selling well, and they offer a stipend um, to the narrator. So they pay the narrator $100 PFH per finished hour, um, in addition to giving the narrator the regular royalty share split. So it's actually a good deal for everybody, um, meaning that the the royalty share agreement is still in place. The author pays nothing up front, uh, but the narrator gets some compensation, which is nice. And how does um, that how how does one try and make that happen? Um, <laughs> is that does that happen on the narrator side or the author side, or is it just something that Audible decides this is a good looking project? We want to to throw a stipend at that project. I would say the latter. Um, ACX has its own selection process. I have 
heard in the past of authors requesting a stipend, you know, saying, could you consider my title for a stipend and sort of making the case for it? I'm honestly not sure anymore that that has any effect. Um, There's been a lot of discussion about stipend projects among narrators. I belong to several Facebook groups um, of narrators and, you know, they like to discuss this. uh, how How do we get our royalty share book accepted for a stipend? I think the general agreement is that they actually just use an algorithm, that it's not even necessarily a, um, a sort of <laughs> case-by-case or even human-generated decision. Mm-hmm. I can't confirm that that's actually the case or not, but it seems to be based, um, at least in part, on the number of ratings that the book has on Amazon um, or in, in proportion to its sales rank on Amazon. Um, so both of those figures have um, an impact, supposedly, on whether or not a title gets a stipend. Would there ever be a time when uh, a narrator might prefer the royalty share over the uh, PF, the per finished hour payment? Yes, definitely. Okay. Um, if if it looks like it's a book that's that's going to sell well, then the narrator. Um, would absolutely prefer um, royalties because uh, in some cases the royalties can really outpace um, whatever uh, the narrator might earn by the hour. Again, the problem is that it's you, you would have a hard time judging that in advance. Right. Um, and some of the things that you can do is, is to look and see, you know, how many reviews does the book have on Amazon? What is its sales rank? Um, you know, how, uh, widely does the narr- I'm sorry, the, the author, um, engage in, um, various, uh, online, marketing mechanisms, you know, are they active on Facebook? Are they active on Twitter or other sites? Do they have their own website? Does it look like they get a lot of traffic? So there's research that a narrator can and and should do um, to try and determine whether a royalty share offer would be would be lucrative or not. And I do always do that. (laughs) Um, And so yes, absolutely. I think usually, though, Quite honestly, my, my impression is that if an author has a title that they want to turn into audio that they know is going to sell really well, they'll usually offer uh, PFH because um, they know that the book is going to sell well, yeah. and so they want the 40% um, of their royalties, and that's completely understandable. Yes, there's very little risk left if you know it's going to sell well. Right, exactly, exactly. So in that case, you know, in some ways it's it's still pretty much everybody wins. You know, the the author knows that if I pay this sum to the narrator, I know I'm going to make that back and, and then some um, in royalties because the narrator is going to keep 40%. Is it a true statement? And just in general, not 100% true, but in general, um, would is the evolution of the narrator's career, does it lend itself towards when you start, you do a lot of royalty share agreements, and then as you you gain more notoriety and more followers and more listeners that are going to be inclined to buy your books, that that you tend to go towards more of a PFH payment process? At least I, I can speak from my own experience um, that that's certainly how it's gone for me. I think as a narrator... Initially, you need to have 
product, you know, you need to have um, evidence out there that you can do this and that you can do a variety of different things. And so initially I was accepting pretty much nothing but royalty share. And that's, again, that's, that's understandable. You know, I wanted to kind of get my foot in the door. Um, and so I, I didn't have that much of a choice really. Um, and so now, however, a few years later, it's, it's transitioned to a point where it's much, very much the other way around that most of what I'm accepting is PFH. And I do sometimes accept royalty share work if the situation is, is right. Um, you know, I, I mentioned, for example, that I, an author that I've worked with repeatedly, I will certainly do a royalty share with. I'm doing that right now um, with one of my Jane Austen variations authors who I've worked with. This is the seventh book I've done with her. I know her books sell. And so, you know, I'm fine with working with her in that way. If you were, let's say that you're starting over now and you don't have, you don't have the reputation that you have, and it, it is today's environment. It, when you are doing your research, what are you looking for in terms of a book's sales rank to make a decision whether you would be willing to do a royalty share agreement? Um, I don't necessarily have hard and fast rules about, you know, like if there's no cutoff or, or minimum or anything like that. I think I just saw a book that was in the sort of, I don't know, it was something like 35,000 something mm -hmm. rank. And to me, I was like, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know, like to me that, that actually. So that would be promising. appealing something yeah. with, in the 35,000. 35, so it's not like you're looking for something under a thousand or something like that. You're no, looking for something all. that's pretty reasonable. And I think most people out there who are familiar with uh, the, the way the sales rankings work, we can sort of do the math and figure out how many copies a day are selling to get a, a rank in the around 35,000. Right, right. So good. That, that's, that's very uh, – that, that, that's good information to have. What, and what other things do you look at? Uh, do you look at – Things like social media followers. You you mentioned social media and website traffic and things like that. Say say you saw a book that was forty five thousand, and mm -hmm. you, maybe you're on the on the ledge as to whether to do it or not, or to just say I'll do it, but I want a, a PFH payment instead. What else would you look at that would sway you towards being willing to do the uh, royalty share? Well, um, I probably shouldn't admit this, but if it looks like it's going to be fun, <laughs> I will, oh, I will yeah. certainly, um, you know, I will certainly consider it. I mean, I, because this isn't my primary career, um, I do have a bit of luxury in terms of being able to pick and choose, um, you know, and, and if it doesn't look like it's going to be fun, I certainly won't do it, um, no matter what, but if it, if it, sort of is a borderline case and it, it looks enjoyable, I'll probably end up doing it just for, for the love of it. And sometimes, you know, those decisions are not the best, um, but sometimes they turn out pretty well. Um, and I enjoy the process and, um, the sales are pretty good. And, and I think like, okay, that was, that was good. That was, that was worth it. You know, there's also, you can't predict how a book is going to perform in the long haul. A perfect example is a book that I did. I swear, I think it was the third audiobook I did professional audiobook I did with ACX and, um, just this week, I have no idea what happened. <laughs> in fact, I keep meaning to email the author and say, what's going on? Because it's in the best sellers in its category. 
And, uh, you know, the, the sales data, I looked at the sales data for the past week and it's, it's really shot up. And, you know, this is a book that came out in like 2011. So I, I don't know what happened, but those kinds of things can always happen later. Um, and you just can't predict it. How many, when you were starting, how many auditions would you do for each uh, contract offer? I'm, I'm, I'm probably getting the terminology wrong, but yeah, I, hopefully you understand what I'm asking. Oh, no, that, that's correct. Um, you do submit auditions. And I honestly don't know what, what sort of ratio there was back then. Um, part of the issue with judging that is that the number of narrators um, wanting to you know work professionally has grown exponentially, um, I would say in, in great part, thanks to ACX. Um, Mm -hmm. so when I first started auditioning, it was actually a a pretty substantially smaller pool. Um, and now it's, it's just grown enormously, not only because of, of sites like ACX, but also because technology has just evolved to a point where, you know, it's very possible for, um, a regular person like myself to, you know, to sort of set up a home studio and then be able to, to record completely, um, in the comfort of your own home. You know, you don't have to go to a, a local studio to do audiobook work. Um, people do still do that. Um, but, uh, it's much more possible for narrators to kind of get, get into the game because they can set up at home. So I, I would actually say probably when I first started out, my audition to contract ratio was much kind of better than it is now because there's just so many more Hmm, um, narrators out there. And if I'm the person who's not willing to accept royalty share, there's probably somebody out there who is willing to accept it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I actually don't audition a huge amount anymore. I I tend to sort of work um, with people I've either worked with before or people who found me via ACX. Um, And when I do audition, uh, it, it does feel a little bit like, you know, I'm probably one among I don't know, hundreds of people who are, who are auditioning for the same titles. Um, and sometimes it hits and sometimes it doesn't, but that's, um, that's just how it goes. Okay. Let's, let's pretend that I have submitted a book to ACX and let's say it's a 10 hour book and you have auditioned and I have selected you and we've worked out the payment arrangements. What happens next? And, And just sort of walk us through the process from your standpoint and my standpoint. Sure. Well, usually as an as a narrator, what I do first is I look I look at the book and I, I read through it and I, I make notes. I ask I usually actually ask the I ask the author up front if there's any notes or preferences or pronunciations that um, he or she wants to give me. Um, and then um, if you know, sometimes authors have real specific things that they want. Sometimes they just say, oh, whatever, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, and then after I read through the book, I'll usually have at least a few questions or notes for the author. Um, it's usually related to pronunciations, um, or preferences about character voices, um, or accent work or that kind of thing. And so once we kind of work all of that out, um, ACX has a, has a sort of, um, first file, um, protocol in place where you're supposed to record the first 15 minutes of the book and put it up on ACX for the author's approval. 
Um, often for me, at least what I end up doing is just recording the first chapter, Mm -hmm. um, usually because it's, it's longer. Um, and I, I don't like just stopping after 15 minutes. So I'll usually give the author the first chapter, um, and they'll listen through and, you know, we'll, we'll have a sort of, um, process where we kind of talk about, you know, does this meet your expectations? You know, is everything sounding okay? Um, usually if everything has kind of gone well up to that point, it's usually a pretty, pretty low stress process. You know, for example, I, I just submitted one a few days ago and the author said, sounds great. I just want you to adjust the pronunciation of this one name. And so then I just need to kind of redo that and resubmit it, and then we kind of go from there. Is this communication via email or phone, or how, how does that typically work? Uh, it's over email. Okay. Um, ACX has its own messaging system, but it's not really all that great. So I usually just say to the author, like, you know, let's talk over email. I have occasionally talked to authors on the phone, um, but that's really only been um, when there's been a, a really large number of pronunciation um, issues mm-hmm. <laughs> that I yeah, need help with. Which could easily happen in science fiction. <laughs> yes. Actually, funnily enough, it wasn't in any of the sci-fi novels I've done. I've, I just did a few novels that um, one was set in Afghanistan, and so mm. I needed a lot of help <laughs> with, um, there were a lot of sort of phrases in Dari and Farsi, and that's not my area of expertise. And the internet can be, you know, can be unreliable at times. And so the author was willing to talk to me and she just said, you know, sure, let's, let's chat. And we talked for an hour and it was great. Um, but that's not typical. Usually we're just kind of chatting back and forth over email and some authors are more hands-on than others. Um, at that point, uh, really what happens is, um, I record, the files, um, for the rest of the book. What I'll usually do is I'll email the author whenever I've got sort of a new batch of files up. Um, it's kind of up to the author in terms of, you know, how I feel about the process. Um, I usually let them decide if they want to, um, to kind of listen along and send me notes as we go, or whether they want to kind of wait until the whole book is up and then give me notes in a batch. I've done it both ways. Both ways work fine. Um, the, there's a slight advantage to kind of listening along in that if there's any kind of issue from the author's standpoint, um, that, that creeps into the book, you know, they don't like the way I'm doing a particular voice, for example, um, that they can kind of flag that early on instead of waiting until the end. Um, and so, but either way is fine. And the author will listen to all of the, the files, um, some authors choose to do this um, just listening along and listening for mistakes, or they'll actually listen while reading through the text. Um, again, that's the author's preference. Mm-hmm. They'll send me notes and say, these are the, the notes that need to be corrected. Um, or in some rare cases, like, it all sounds great. <laughs> You're done. Um, which does happen occasionally. I'm always very excited. Um, and so once that, once everything gets corrected, um, We'll choose a, an, a retail sample, which is something that ACX requires that you upload. Sometimes I'll just choose it and I'll upload it and the author will be like, great. Or sometimes the author will have a very specific portion of the book that they want to serve as the sample because this is all, you know, this is part of their marketing plan. Mm-hmm. So I do, of course, defer to their choice. 
And once that's all in place, um, the author will approve the project. It'll go then to ACX um, for quality control. Um, as long as there are no issues from their standpoint, um, it'll then, once it passes quality control, it'll go um, to Audible for sale. And that process usually takes maybe about two weeks between the end of audiobook production and the book actually getting to Audible if there are no QC problems. Okay. Now, I know there will be people out there listening that don't understand the difference between finished hours and hours that go into doing something like this. I'm assuming – well, I have every doubt that you're very good at what you do. I'm <laughs> guessing that a 10, hour, 10 per finished hours is, is a lot more than 10 hours. Definitely. Yeah. No, there's a substantial editing process um, on my end before I even upload the files for the author's review. Um, some narrators, I should say, um, kind of outsource um, their editing and mastering. Um, and I, I do it myself. Um, and I'm so, with you there. I like to do my <laughs> own too. I, I know lots of people that send it out, but I like to do it myself. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I, I know that mass sound mastering is not my, my forte. I'm, it, it probably would sound a little better if I outsourced it, but, um, I don't know. I mean, I've, I never had any complaints from anybody that I've worked with and, you know, sound quality, I think has been vetted by a number of different companies at this point. And so I'm fairly confident that it all, that it all sounds okay. I make a lot of mistakes when I read. Um, everybody does. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I have to edit out all of the mistakes and, you know, the pauses for, you know, sipping tea and, and you know, all of that stuff. So the, the files, when I'm actually finished recording, are a mess and they need to be cleaned up and edited and all of the, the mistakes corrected as much as I can, um, before I even send them out. And then there's some, there's some, um, mastering and sound processing that I do on them before I send them to the author. And then even at that point, the author sometimes will find mistakes that I've made that have just, you know, slipped through the cracks. And so that's when they kind of send them back to me and say, could you fix this, please? Yeah. And any author out there listening certainly understands the process of going through something a thousand times and, and still having mistakes <laughs> creep in. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing. I, I actually do write as part of my job as well, um, although it's academic publishing. And so um, we see a, a extremely, extremely small audience <laughs> for what we write. Um, but you know, I, I can totally relate to the author's, uh, struggles to, you know, make their manuscripts as clean as possible. It's just, it's so hard. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, I always seem to manage to, to, you know, overlook some little mistake in everything that I write. So I'm very sympathetic. <laughs> you mentioned earlier, we used as an example, a hundred dollars an hour, a hundred dollars per finished hour as, as a price. And you use that number just to make it easy to do the math. What should uh, authors expect to pay for a, an experienced narrator? Well, I'll be perfectly frank. My my uh, PFH rate right now is 175 an hour, um, which is even still a little bit on the low side. Um, I believe that union, that would be SAG-AFTRA union rates, are um, a minimum of 225. I might be getting that wrong because I'm not actually in the union, mm -hmm. um, a fact which I feel slightly bad about. But... Um, yeah, so 
I charge 175. I've been kind of gradually raising my rates over the years. Um, I would like to get to 200 um, sometime soon in the next year or two. I feel like that would be pretty fair in terms of the amount of work that goes into producing uh, the audio files. Because as I said, especially for ACX, I'm the one who's doing the narration, the editing, the mastering, really all of that. Yeah, and it really, and, and I would guess that it's somewhere between three and four hours for each finished hour. It does end up being something probably like a three to one ratio. Yes. And so when you factor that in, um, the actual rate that you're paying, um, kind of goes down a little bit. And I should say that when I'm working for a company like B audio, I'm actually not doing any of the editing or mastering. They take care of that and they still pay, um, usually 200 to 225 for narrators per hour. Per finished hour. Yeah, based on what I know for audiobooks and, and based on what I know about your skill, $175 an hour is really good. Well, thank you. Thank you. You're inspiring me to raise my rates, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're listening out there, contact Elizabeth quickly before she <laughs> raises her rates. Well, this has been absolutely terrific. I've got a couple more quick questions. Um, just that I'm curious about this. Where do you record? You, you mentioned you had a home studio. Where Where is your home studio? What's it like? Um, I'm in it right now, actually. It's a, I it's thought a... you were because there is zero <laughs> echo. You're like the best sounding person I've ever interviewed. <laughs> well, great. Thank you. That, that sounds good. Um, I It's a very small closet um, in my bedroom. Um, and when I say small, I mean very small and, um, it's basically, it's, it's got my microphone, um, my computer, it's got like a sort of soundproofed box that my microphone sits in. It's got sound, uh, deadening material inside and on the floor to kind of, um, reduce the echo. Um, it's also hot <laughs> because I live in Texas mm, and, oh. um, there's no, um, uh, there's no, um, what's it called? Sorry. The, um, there's no ventilation. Thank you. That's what I'm looking for. There's no, um, you know, air conditioning or anything that, that pipes mm -hmm. in here, which is how I wanted it because air conditioning actually is very loud. Um, and I would not be able to record while it was on. Um, so I do have to take breaks, frequent breaks, especially in the summer. I can't really go for more than an hour, an hour and a half before I just start to get, a little, a little hot in here. So you know, when I, I I interviewed a narrator very early on in in the process for this. Uh, her, her name is Renee Rodman. I don't know whether you know. Oh her yes, or I not. do. Mm -hmm. but, not personally. Uh, she, she is. She's always been one of my favorite narrators, and I was thrilled to be able to talk to her. But she talked about the same thing: recording in her closet. And at that time, I started recording in my closet based uh -huh. on what she'd said. And you are right about it being hot. I'm in Florida. And you get on a, a 45 minute call and that's just, you know, 45 minutes, not all day long, like, yeah. like you would do. It gets really hot. But what a difference it makes to be in there. I'm not in there now because I just couldn't take it anymore. So <laughs> I just put up with some echo. Yeah, you know, it's okay. I mean, I think that um, I, I agree, it does make a huge difference. And having been through a number of different configurations over the years, um, I used to I used to have a headset microphone that I would wear and I would sit on the floor in a different closet in a different house. And it just, yeah, this is much nicer. Yeah. <laughs> this is much nicer. All right. Last question. Should authors expect the narrator to help them promote the work? 
To a certain extent, yes. Um, I always do marketing work on each of the titles that I work on. Um, and so what I'll do is I do have a website. Um, and so I'll do a, a blog post and then I'll post on my Facebook page that I have a Facebook page just, just for my audio work, work and also my Twitter, which is also just for audio work. So I will do that. Another thing that I'll do through ACX is, um, for royalty share titles, they do provide, um, uh, they provide sort of free copies that you can give away to listeners. The idea is that if you um, give away uh, free copies and ask the listeners to put reviews on Audible, um, that that will kind of help generate sales um, in the future. And I, I think there is a certain sense to that, that mm-hmm. if, you know, if a title has a lot of reviews, and especially if the reviews are positive, you're more likely to to buy the title. So, um, and I do do that, um, with royalty share titles. Um, you know, I, I, there's a a Facebook group that's run by a narrator, um, Jeffrey Kafer, and he, um, he has this list uh, called audiobook boom, um, that I've done quite a few times and it, it works really, really well. Um, it's a sort of outlet to give away the free copies and to solicit, um, to solicit reviews from listeners. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a it's a really great tool. It's very affordable. Um, it's it's really a wonderful idea. So I do do all of those things. Um, I should say though that I think the onus is more on the author um, rather than on the narrator to to really promote the book. And and I have seen really great sales results if an author is willing to to do something like BookBub and you know to really kind of try and and get the book out there and and promote the audiobook. So um I'm I definitely think the author should expect the narrator to be to be involved and and to help the marketing um but that they should sort of take the lead. Oh this is this has been absolutely fantastic. Elizabeth where is the best place for people to find you online? Well, I do have a website. Um, it's my name, Elizabeth Klett, that's K-L-E-T-T, audio.com. Um, and you can link from there to my Facebook page and my Twitter page. I also have a SoundCloud page. Um, and I do post uh, to my website regularly when I have news, either um, a new release or an interview or something like that. And my Facebook page is pretty active, too. Um, it's Elizabeth Klatt Audio, again. Um, so that's it, really. And you've got tons of sample audio on your website as well. Yes, and I do. And lots of it with you speaking in an English accent. I am just so... I, you know, it's <laughs> what you guys... What, what, what narrators do is so magical to me, and it, it's just always a thrill to me when I get to speak to a narrator. It's just, it's just something I have such incredible admiration for because you paint these wonderful word pictures, and I just love audiobooks. I've loved them my entire life, and it, it's just... I am so thrilled that Audible is bringing this to more authors and there are more audiobooks and more people getting involved in the process. It's just it's just really cool. Thank you. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm actually an audiobook fan as well. I listen all the time and I, I think in part because I think it helps me learn and, and become a better narrator myself, but also just for the pure enjoyment. I, I love it too. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Steve. It was really fun talking with you. 